So we are, we are very grateful to have him here tonight and let's welcome him up to the stage. Uh, thank you, Allison, and also Mel and Eric, who have coordinated the Theology on Tap tonight. Delighted to be with you uh, to share uh, a little bit. Briefly, I've been told, you know, half hour, cut it off after that. A little bit of sharing, and then the sharing goes on the rest of the night. And as was mentioned, I at one time was chaplain at George Mason University. That was a long time ago, from 1986 to 2000. And at that time, um, I lived in the campus ministry house, which was right next to a fraternity house. And um, at two o'clock in the morning, every Friday and Saturday morning, they woke me up as their parties were ending and they were going back to campus. So was, they didn't do that quietly. You know, so it was fun. My brother, my younger brother, Ed, uh, went to George Mason and he joined that fraternity. You know, just in spite of me. Yeah, that fraternity. But it was fun. And um, then eventually we bought that fraternity house. And, um, there wasn't too much opposition in the neighborhood to build the chapel there because we were replacing the fraternity house. And uh, so um, th there's a place in the chapel that I call Frat Row. It's over on the uh, left side. That's where the fraternity house used to be. And um, I remember the day that they um, were, we, the diocese had bought the fraternity house, so they extended the property. and. Um, there were some people going out to survey the land and also they had Geiger, count Geiger counters out there. They were looking for you know, treasures. I said, you're going to find a lot of aluminum out there. There's a lot of aluminum. <laughs> but you know, God guided the building of that uh, chapel. Um, at that time, the freshman dorms were not across the street like they are now. But it was a piece of property that was available, so we bought it and expanded it and had the hope of building the chapel. And then the university started growing out towards us. So now the chapel ended up being built a keg's throw from the freshman dorm. So, and there was one freshman, uh, Jamie Workman, who I baptized at the end of his freshman year. And one of his goals, he said when he went to college, was he wasn't from any faith background at all in his family. One of his goals was to find um, a church. And the Catholic chapel was the closest one, so he tried that first, and he stayed. And I baptized him um, at the Easter Vigil, and he's now Father Jamie Workman, Father Jamie Workman, priest in our diocese, so delighted about that, of course. And also, all the students that have been involved in campus ministry throughout the years, part of the deal was always that they would become these future leaders of the church. And I used to tell the students sitting around, I said, one day I'm, I'm gonna be back in a parish and when I look around at the parish council meeting, I better see you there. And, you know, and it's happened at All Saints and Nativity to see those students, now graduates, now parents with their children, really involved in the church and leaders in the church. So it makes me very proud. So for those who are at George Mason, I built that chapel for you. And I'm glad you're there. I'd like to begin just with a prayer. Let's just pray. Dear God, we thank you for your love and friendship and care for us. We thank you for how you seek us out when we are lost and how you always rejoice at our return. We ask you to bless our sharing and gathering tonight. Bless the food and drink that we share that nourishes our bodies and our talk and speech and the gift of one another that nourishes our souls and spirits. We ask not only your blessings on our gathering tonight, but we ask you to bless our families and friends and faith communities, the people we hold dear in our hearts 
especially anyone who is sick or going through a difficult time, we bestow your healing upon them. We ask this prayer and blessing through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, great. Well, the theme of the talk tonight is um, invitation to a party of the lost and found. And actually, you know, Jesus is the one that kind of gave it that title because in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, are his mercy parables. There are actually three. I'm going to just share two because they're real brief. Um, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them he addressed this parable. What man among you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he sets it on his shoulders with great joy, and upon his arrival home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in just the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need of repentance. He went on to say, Or what woman, having ten coins and losing one, would not light a lamp and sweep the house, searching carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found the coin that I lost. In just the same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus speaks of this uh, celebration, this party, this rejoicing, whenever someone is found again. And that's the way God feels. So, Jesus is telling this story. It's kind of an unusual party to be invited to. I don't know if you've ever been invited to a I found my lost sheep party. I don't know if a neighbor has ever invited you to her I found my lost coin celebration. Um, but Jesus uses these examples to show us about the, the recovery of something valuable. The pain of loss is now over. There's a recovery of something valuable. And the shepherd wants all his sheep. And the woman, the lady, wants all her coins. But um, when Jesus is telling this story, of course, when he's talking to the shepherds and saying, what shepherd among you, having a hundred sheep and loses one of them, in the desert, would not go and look for that one, leaving the others? Most shepherds are shaking their head going, I wouldn't do that. That's unreasonable. Forget the one. I'm going to hold on to my 99, especially in the desert. But Jesus told the story that way because that's how God loves us. That what might not have been considered of value to God is, and everyone is of value. So when Jesus told that story, the shepherds are scratching their heads and going, I wouldn't do that. But Jesus said, but that's what God would do. God would. Jesus' point was, God loves us to the point of ridiculousness. He does. And we are all of value to him, always. Every one of his people. Every one of his sons and daughters are precious to him. And then when he finds that one lost sheep, he puts it on his shoulders, carries it back home, and then invites everyone in to celebrate and throws a party. Yeah, the joy. And so Jesus is telling those Pharisees who are criticizing him for hanging out and eating with sinners and drinking with them, he says to them, you know what? There's more joy in heaven 
over the one loss that is found than over the 99 that have no need of repentance. So Jesus is speaking about the joy that God has in forgiving us, the joy that God has in loving us, the joy that God has in welcoming us. So, for instance, in the church we have this beautiful sacrament of reconciliation. So we can say, whenever we go to confession, we make God really happy. There is more joy in heaven over that. It's a gift. And um, so uh, another parable that Jesus told didn't have to do with things. It didn't have to do with um, sheep or a coin, but a human being. And so the third parable in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel of those mercy parables is the very famous one of the prodigal son. Okay. And uh, we, all, we know that story, right? Everybody knows that story. Um, father had two sons. The younger one says to the father, give me my inheritance, which he shouldn't get till the father dies. So he's basically saying, I wish you were dead <laughs> already. And um, that would be hurtful. And then, but he, so the father gives him his inheritance. And um, he goes off and spends it in wild living. I mean, really wild living. That's what the scriptures say, you know. And uh, spends everything, has nothing. And he's trying to find the work, and he wishes he had the food that the, the swine are eating. And he makes a decision, I, I'm going to go back to my father. And he has a speech already. Um, and, dear father, I've sinned against God, against you. I no longer deserve to be your son. Just make me one of your hired hands. Well, the father actually had been out on the hillside every day since, since he left, waiting, hoping, longing for his return. Which, at the time of Jesus, the father would never do that because it was a very patriarchal society. You know, the father goes nowhere. You go to the father <laughs> and ask. But this father does. This father does. He doesn't take that hard-line stand. He's out waiting. And the scriptures say when the son was still a long way off, he already loved him. Isn't that good to know? That God, when we're a long way off, far away, he already loves us. Already loves us. And he is there waiting for us to return, longing. Actually, Julian of Norwich, a great mystic, um, wrote in her journal her experience of God. And it's great to have these journals. Back then, they didn't have cell phones or TV or, you know, so they wrote, they, they journaled. They had free, a lot of free time, and they reflected. So in her journal, um, she writes about God, and she says that her experience of God is that God is obsessed with reaching out to the one who's most lost. Obsessed with it. That God um, just is captivated about reaching out to the one in the most darkness, the one who's farthest away. That is God's desire. Obsessed and captivated are her words that she gives. That God, that's God's desire, like that shepherd who wants to go out and look for the lost sheep. Um, Julian of Norwich also wrote in her journal her experience of God. And um, we sometimes might have a notion of God as being a God to be feared, or a God who is angry with us, a God who is upset, um, God just waiting for us to make a mistake and get us. We've tried to move away from that image of God, a God distant and angry about everything, um, to a God who is intimate, a God who is close to us, 
because that is the God that's revealed in the scriptures. So here's her experience of God. She wrote it in her journal. Happiness and peace, completely relaxed, radiating a marvelous, a measureless love, like a marvelous symphony. You know, that was her experience of God. Completely relaxed, happiness and peace, radiating a measureless love, like a marvelous symphony. Isn't that a beautiful notion of God? God delighting in us, God happy, rejoicing in his children, rejoicing in his people. And the psalmist wrote, God delights in his people. So sometimes it's good for us to just pause and reflect on God delighting in us, not angry with us, not um, upset, but rejoicing, delighting, radiating a measureless love, like a marvelous symphony. So that son does return. He has his speech already. And the father stops him. Said, no, stop, stop. Um, what's past is past. He said, let's get on with the show. And he, he brings out the coat, put the coat on him, the ring, the coat, and then orders that a big party, a big celebration, a big feast begin. You know, this is... Um, it's unbelievable. So in that story of the prodigal son, there are three main characters. The younger, erring son. The older, judge, virtuous but judgmental son. who's not happy about this party. We'll get to that. And then the loving father. Now, if we're honest about ourselves, we probably have been each of those characters at some time in our life. I know I have. Yeah. So, um, of course, the hero of the story is the loving father, the loving parent. Okay. So, um, when, the, when the older son finds out why there's a celebration and a party going on, he's very upset about it that his, your younger brother has returned and your father has thrown a party for him. So he doesn't, he's judgmental and he won't have anything to do with it. He's really angry and upset that the younger son is being shown mercy and all this attention. He says, if I've been with you always, you never had a party for me like this. The father, once again, goes out to him. He takes his anger and takes the hit, just like he did when the younger son wanted him to be dead. That father just took it because he, he, his love was unconditional. And so he says to the older son, he said, everything I have is yours, but we had to rejoice for your brother was lost and now he's found. He was dead, he's come back to life. You know, and, let, and the party began. It's a great party. Now that, that word prodigal, we sometimes think it means lost, but actually the word prodigal means spending money recklessly and wastefully extravagant. So prodigal, certainly the son did that. He went and took his inheritance and he spent it recklessly on wild living and um, wastefully extravagant. And he went through it all. But we can also say that about the loving father. We can call that the prodigal father who also wastefully throws this extravagant party, puts the ring on in the cloak and the party, um, maybe spending recklessly on this party, this celebration you know, in a very extravagant way. 
Cardinal John Newman said this, I would not think much of a love that was not at times extravagant. Have you ever gotten an extravagant gift? I mean, just really generous. And you're just like, wow, it's so generous. An extravagant gift. You know, he said, I wouldn't think much of a love that wasn't at time, that was not at times extravagant. And that's God's love for us. You know, this father who throws this huge, big party at the return of the son. Once again, speaking about the joy that God has when we return to relationship with him. You know, not a God to be feared, not a God who is distant, but a God close, unconditionally loving us, caring for us, always welcoming us. Yeah. That um, prodigal son story, a modern day example of that happened in my own family. Um, my younger brother, Paul, uh, he was a, a student in grade school and high school. But when he went away to college, things were a little different. You know, and he was really enjoying himself. And there was no communication back home at all for like six months. The only thing coming home were the credit card bills. Yeah, and dad was upset and mom was concerned and worried. And there were six children in my family. I'm the second oldest, so Paul's one of the younger ones. Um, so Paul decides it's time to reconnect. So he calls up and he said, I'm coming home this Sunday evening. And um, so that Sunday, at Mass, guess what the Gospel was? The prodigal son story. Yeah, it really worked in favor for my brother Paul. Really did. So it's in the evening. Now my dad was a tough disciplinarian. I mean, he has a soft heart. I guess I'm thinking of him because it's Father's Day yesterday, and my dad died four years ago. And I still miss him, of course, and remember all the beautiful things that he did for our family. But he was a disciplinarian, tough, and. You know, my mom was the opposite. Italian mother, warm, nurturing, caring. My dad, Polish, but they both were great people of hospitality. You weren't in our house one minute. My dad was making you a drink, mom was getting food ready. And, and my dad always wanted to make sure everybody's having a good time. So, um, so anyway, there was tension in the house that day. Mom's praying and worried, telling dad to be good, nice, you know. My dad, how is this gonna go? when Paul arrives. So I'm there to witness it. So I get to see this. So my brother Paul shows up at the front door, comes in, my dad's sitting in his chair, patriarchal, in his chair in the den. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He didn't get up, but no, he's in the chair. So here's the conversation, it goes like this. And both of them are quick on their feet and really sharp and funny, funny. Great sense of humor. So my dad looks at Paul, he comes in the door, I'm nervous, mom's nervous, what's gonna happen? My dad looks at him and says, well, the prodigal son has returned. And my brother Paul looked at him and said, yeah, where's my party? <laughs> that was quick, that was, where's my party? And my dad said, man, you've had your party. You've had your party, yeah. You've had your party. That's the exchange that took place. And then my brother said, you're right. And he went over to my dad, who got up out of the chair, and they embraced. And he welcomed him home. And they, they talked it out. We just left the den, and they talked it out. And then the party began. Mom's getting the food, dad's getting the drinks. Well, come on, let's have a drink, you know. And we rejoiced. 
in his return. I went over to my brother Paul and whispered to him, you really lucked out, man. The prodigal son story. My dad heard that preached on that day. And that's how we can take the word of God that we hear at Sunday Mass and, and enflesh it in our lives and in our relationships. And that story came to life in my own family. Um, so good for dad, good for Paul. And it was, yeah, a, a joy, a joy. So, um, so in the story, after you know, the dad kind of cools down the, the uh, older son and welcomes him in, um, there, there's this family's united again, there's rejoicing. So I guess the point of this is, and the, the, in, the, the title to the story, the title to tonight, um, Invitation to a Party of the Lost and Found. The reason for the Pharisees criticizing Jesus because he was hanging out with sinners and eating with them and welcoming them is the same reason for the party that Jesus welcomes and eats with sinners. Same reason for the party. Same reason the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus and uh, you know, really attacking him is the reason for the celebration. Yeah, Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Remember when Jesus began his public ministry? It was at the Jordan River. And John the Baptist, his cousin, his crazy cousin, he was kind of, you know, John the Baptist was kind of bizarre. You know, he dressed like Fred Flintstone and he ate camp, you know, what did he eat? He ate um, grasshoppers, locusts, yeah, and sweet honey, whatever. Yeah, he was bizarre, kind of strange. But his message, his message was very attractive. He said, repent. He called, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's an opportunity for a new beginning. And we're told all of Jerusalem came out to the Jordan. So they picked up on it. They knew their own felt need for this. And so even though he was kind of strange, we might have a strange cousin in our family. Don't, um, you know, be attentive to that person. You might be the strange cousin in your family. You know, be attentive to that person. They might have something to say, a contribution to make, because we all do. So... Um, so anyway, Jesus shows up. He, and where is he? He's where all the sinners are. And all the sinners are in line waiting to get into the Jordan River. What does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't condemn them. He doesn't talk down to them. He gets in line. <laughs> he gets in line with the sinners. And he enters into the waters with them. He didn't need any need of repentance. But in entering, immersing himself in the waters, this is why I'm here. I've come for sinners to give my life for them, you know, and um, and then that great experience happened. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and the words, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased," you know, that powerful religious experience for Jesus with his Father at that moment. And Jesus wants us all to have that same religious experience. That's why He's given us the sacrament of baptism. And on the day of our baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon us and God claimed us as his own and God said, this is my beloved daughter, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased and began to live in us. And so Jesus, his whole life has been given to, um, for us so that we could be saved. You know, there's more joy in heaven over uh, whenever we turn back to the Lord. And he's always there to welcome us and it causes a great celebration and a, a great party. So I just want us to be aware of 
um, of the scriptures and um, how Jesus tells us about his father. And he says, if God is like anything, God's like that, that loving father. If God is like anything, God's like that shepherd that goes and looks for the lost, um, that loves us to the point of ridiculousness. If God is like anything, God is like that woman that turns her house upside down to find one little coin, maybe not worth a nickel, but because all have value, the Lord. And that's what God is like. In our church, we have this beautiful opportunity to experience that in many ways. Whenever we turn to God in our hearts and make a prayer of contrition, the act of contrition, it's kind of a beautiful way to end the day, but it's also a prayer that we can boot up whenever we need it, right? Whenever we need it. That's why um, I want our children in our school and our religious education program, I want them to know it, you know, because you're going to need it. We're all going to need it. So I want you to know it so you can boot it up whenever you need it and make that prayer in our heart to God. And that's really ex seeking and, and experiencing and receiving God's forgiveness, the prayer of our hearts. At the beginning of every Mass, we have um, the penitential rite where we all call to mind our sins, you know. I've always wanted to do this one day at Mass. I will one day, but I haven't done it yet. I haven't had the courage to do it yet. At the beginning of Mass, you know, we bless ourselves, welcome, um, peace be with you. Okay. okay, let's all call to mind, no, let's all confess our sins. And then pause and go, who wants to go first? <laughs> yeah, let's all confess our sins. Who wants to go first? The reason I think of that is because um, at my parish, at Nativity, I think one of the, the most grace-filled meetings that take place every week is the AA group that meets. And they always begin that way. They always begin that way. You know, and we do too at Mass. We call to mind, of course, nobody has to go first. We all do it together in that beautiful confidier, you know, the penitential rite. And you know, recently, about now, about eight or nine years ago, the English translation was uh, um, updated. So now we say, it kind of gets, um, now we say the confidier uh, um, that I, the confidier begins, um, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned. Greatly wasn't in there before. That I have greatly sinned through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. And, and you know, the gesture like this. I think athletes use that. My bad, you know, my bad. And we use that. So um, the church now has that. But, but if you think about it, you know, is it, is, when, my, when we first started saying that, uh, somebody was, might have thought, isn't that a little overboard, you know? You know bless, I'm sorry for I greatly sinned, you know, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. And you know what? I think um, it was maybe um, strange at first, but I think the good point of it was this. Sometimes we have difficulty saying we're sorry. We just do. And so in this confidier, we kind of are learning that it's okay to do that. It kind of helps us. You know. uh, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts, in my words, and what I've done, what I've failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my excuse. Kind of helps us to say I'm sorry, right? Which we sometimes have trouble doing. You know. And that greatly sin part, I think of um, 
the words in the Exaltet at the Easter Vigil. It says, uh, O happy fault, O necessary sin of Adam, that won for us so great a Redeemer. You might want to ask, well, how great a Redeemer? How great a Redeemer? Um, you know, it's like when you're at dinner with uh, friends or family and, and someone offers to pick up the check. And, and um, table etiquette doesn't allow us to ask how much it was, but don't you always want to know? Don't you want to know what the bill was? Don't you want to know how generous they're being? Yeah, we don't ask, but it would be nice to know. Well, how great, how great a redeemer? How great? How generous? Well, I guess the greater the sin, the greater the redeemer, right? So we say greatly sinned, because our redeemer is great. <laughs> how great a redeemer we have. And then the other thing is sometimes when we've uh, made a mistake, like if, if we're late, late for something, and you know you, you say, oh, I'm sorry I'm late, that probably covers it. But if you really hurt someone, that's not enough. It's not enough to just say, oh, I'm sorry. No, if I am so sorry, I am so sorry. I'm deeply sorry that I hurt you. I didn't intend to. You, you better put more into it than just I'm sorry. So at our confidier, we're doing that. We're doing that. Greatly sinned, you know, through my fault, through my, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, I would all the angels, and you, my brothers, to pray for me to the Lord our God. So we do have this beautiful penitential act in prayer that we say together. And it's kind of beautiful that we all do it together because we all are in need of God's grace, and there's grace and forgiveness given. Then, of course, there's a beautiful sacrament of reconciliation. It is beautiful. In that sacrament, when you celebrate that sacrament, for me, um, on both sides of the kneeler, as the sinner penitent confessing, and as a priest administering a sacrament, it's one of the most powerful experiences of my life. But especially on the other side of the kneeler, where I am seeking that forgiveness, and in the grace of that sacrament, let me tell you, the grace is poured out. The burden is lifted. Peace comes to you. And uh, joy and joy. And Jesus says, you know, in that confession, Jesus forgives you because he loves you. And you've asked for his forgiveness. And um, there's just new life, new joy, new happy, new peace to come. So my, my point of all that is... Um, don't deny yourself the invitation to the party of the lost and found. It is a privilege of your baptism and mine to know the satisfaction of God's forgiveness. And the best, one of the best ways we can know that is in a beautiful sacrament of reconciliation. To know, to hear the priest who speaks in the, word, in the, the name of Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. I absolve you from your sins. Go in peace with new grace. And you never go home empty. You go home with light, joy, peace, and grace. So this invitation to the party uh, of the lost and found is all of ours. It's God's invitation. And reconciliation, that gift of forgiveness, is a beautiful one. It keeps all relationships going. Family, friends, our God, our church. Um, and Jesus taught us that. So uh, let's uh, not deny ourselves that gift. Let's offer that gift to each other. Let us now be the loving parent, the loving father on the hillside, waiting, hoping, longing for others to return to offer our forgiveness to them and to celebrate the party and the joy of their return.
All right, my time's up. My time's up. Thank you. If this is your first time with us, we normally open it up now for some Q&A, question and answer. If you have any questions for Father Bob, um, whether it's about reconciliation or reconciling relationship, this would be a great time to ask. So we'll open it up now. Let me off the hook. So let's say you go to confession, you've made a really sincere effort to make a good confession. And you leave the confessional and you call to mind something that, oh, I didn't remember that and I didn't confess it. Um, and it kind of bothers you that you didn't. I would say, yeah, are my sin, is that sin forgiven? Was it a good, I think it was a good confession, a genuine one, because you were sincere and did your best. And the very thought, the, the very fact I think that it wasn't on your mind at that moment was maybe it wasn't real, real serious. Because I think it was real, real serious. It probably would have been on your mind just to say. So, but, you know, I think that God knows that and there's that understanding about that other sin. And you can confess that the next time or make an act of contrition, you know, but um, just to respond to that. But if you made the sincere effort, sometimes we end our confession by saying, and any other sins I can't remember. So you might want to use that phrase. Because that's a nice all-inclusive one. Um, the ones that really burden us or really weighing heavy on our hearts, I'm sure we're going to give them over and share. Yeah? I was going to say, um, I've, I've had that issue before myself, and I found very helpful is I will write down my damage of conscience because I just, I just feel like when, after I started doing that, I just felt more like at peace with it. And also it's really useful because then I could like maybe started like the day before and then they look at it again and be like just and, and, and I would like meditate on it sometimes. And also it, it is forgettable satisfying at the end to bring it up. And be like, okay God, like I'm gonna try to not have this same list next time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yes, in the back. So for a situation that might involve uh, reconciling with a family member, what would you Man, what is honestly the best the best advice that I that I, you have heard or that you know? Okay, so if you're um, if you need to reconcile with a family member, the question is, what would be your best advice in doing that? First of all, the desire I think to want to do that is very beautiful. That means you've worked through some uh, maybe anger and you've worked through some grudge holding that you might have had, or maybe you've been the one that's been hurt. Um, so let's say you're the one that's been hurt. And you probably have to process and work through that, because sometimes we're just really angry about being hurt and the offense. And so I would say one step of that is to say, name it. Name the hurt. It's okay. And it's okay to say, I'm angry about it. 
Um, anger, just being angry is not a sin. We don't want our anger to lead us to sin. But the anger is not a sin. There's even divine indignation, right? There's divine indignation. You know, and actually anger is a, can be a very beautiful emotion. That something that should not be is, and that what should be is not. We should get angry about that. It, it motivates us. You know, it stirs us up to act, to try to make a change, to make a difference. So we can put it in, use it in a good way. But let's say that anger is like you're hurt, and I don't know if I can forgive this person. Maybe on our own human power, we can't. So here's the, here's the process. The process is to name the anger and bring that to God. Say, dear God, I am angry, and this is why I've been hurt. Then add to that, please give me the healing and grace that I need that will allow me to begin to let go and forgive. So it's a power greater than ourselves, which is good to remember. When I try to just go on Bob Selinsky power, I don't get very far. But bring in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's grace, look out. I mean, things can happen. That's true for all of us. So uh, for you who are still in school, before you, you're taking a test, say a prayer to the Holy Spirit to help you. And if you've studied, the Holy Spirit will help you in that test. But it will. Give me clarity of thought and mind. Bring success to my efforts. So if you're on that side, if you're on the other side where you're the one who's going to ask forgiveness, um, you, take the, you have the guts and courage to do it. But I would say pray. Pray about it. That the other person's heart would be open to receive your forgiveness. So prayer, I think, is a big part of it. But it certainly is a beautiful, beautiful act of love is to go and seek to be reconciled. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Come, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Come, Holy Spirit. The, you were guided by the Spirit of Jesus because He promised that he would send his spirit to be with us. He's not going to leave us orphans. And that he remains with us in his spirit. And he, he talks about the spirit. He says, it's going to be your friend, your guide, your healer, your advocate. I like the one advocate. Because when I think of advocate, I think of a defense attorney. You know, someone's going to defend you, stand by you. You know, my advocate. And so we all have the best defense attorney in the world, you know, who is with us. So, um, we shouldn't wait till we go to the Supreme Court to use it, the final judgment. Don't wait till then. You know, consult early and often <laughs> is what you're pointing with our advocate, the Holy Spirit. You also inspire. You're like, where do, where do inspirations come for things to do in a parish or things to do in your life or uh, in, in those relationships? Those, that's the stirring of the Holy Spirit that's working to call us to something. You know, sometimes I give a homily. I always plan my homilies. But I end up saying sometimes things in the homily that I didn't plan on saying and um, I sit down and say, thank you. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. I wasn't planning on saying that. So thank you, God. But the Holy Spirit is real. It's not a bird. It's a person. <laughs> it's, an image of the, it's an image of the bird, but it's a person. It's the person of Jesus, his spirit with us. Okay. Good point. Yes? Father, uh, one of the things you mentioned were um, alcoholics and anonymous beings. Mm -hmm. activity and how you said they were very graceful yes. moments. Um, and I, so I'm wondering whether sometimes 
confession is as beautiful and powerful as confession is. You know, for certain sins that might be related to compulsive behaviors, addiction, wounds from childhood, you know, there are times when confession really isn't enough. Beautiful. So he, I refer to AA meetings in our churches and their view and how powerful they are, grace-filled meetings. And he said, for those who are struggling with some sort of a, a compulsion, a computer compulsion, or some sort of addictive behavior, maybe the sacrament of reconciliation, which always helps, maybe is not sufficient in, it, in itself uh, to overcome it, although there's a power and grace there, but maybe these other groups, these support groups of community, yeah, there's a power in community, and these support groups are very, very powerful and helpful to overcome addictive behavior because there's accountability and there's love and there's sharing and you can be honest and open. So it's no longer a secret. It's been named and you're dealing with it with humility and honesty and faith. And there's a power of community too. So that's why we, you know, our personal prayer is great, but our community prayer is really powerful. Yeah, especially when we gather for the Eucharist, you know. And uh, so there's the answer to that. You were right. But use them all. Use all the graces that are there. And uh, Jesus knows the power of community. That's why he started his church. Because he knew we were going to do a lot better together and do more together than what we could ever do by, by ourselves. And Jesus wants to include all of us in it. That's why he started his church. But remember, when he said he'd send his spirit upon us, he said, you'll be able to do greater things than I've done. Greater things than Jesus has done. Wow. Yeah, so the sky's the limit. Yeah, thank you. It was an excellent point. Yes? Can you talk a little bit about the role of shame and how that might keep people from the sacrament of reconciliation yeah. or like okay. feeling like I don't deserve this Right, burden? very good. Um, the question is, or the, the request is, can you talk a little bit about shame that that might keep people from confession and um, how to overcome that. Well, let me just say this, um, that as a priest who hears confessions, and I've done it for 38 years, um, that as a priest, you always have great admiration for the person that's coming to confession because what they're saying is a statement of faith that they're coming with their wounds or their, their hurts or struggles, and they're bringing them to Jesus. So a lot of times the first thing I say is, well, the good news is you're here. The great thing is you're here. You know, and we have this graced moment. And your faith in Jesus brings you to this sacrament today. You know, that's a beautiful thing. That's beautiful. So as a priest, you always just admire the other person. And we're all human beings, so we all have human struggles and weaknesses. So the priest, you don't look down on the other person um, because of the sin that they've confessed. You also don't remember it. You don't remember it. Sometimes someone will come and say, well, Father, like I said last time, I don't know what you said. I, I don't say that, but I don't. I don't. You don't hold on to that. You know, that's between the person and God. You, it goes to God. And you hear so many confessions, you don't remember people sins, and you also are not holding on, you're giving them over to the Lord, too. And uh, so, just admiration, really. And, uh, you know, we all feel um, disappointed in ourselves 
when we've done something or haven't done something that we know is displeasing to the Lord or to others. We, we all feel that. But I'll tell you this. When the disappointment and contrition of our heart meets the mercy of God, sparks fly. That's combustible material. I mean, something wonderful happens in that moment, that grace moment. So it's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing to come and do that. And so you make God happy. There's more rejoicing in heaven over the one lost sinner that comes. That's, you know, throw a party. Okay. Great. Thank you again. Yeah, I just want to end with one, one last thing since I have the mic. <laughs> yeah. And uh, about community. So we just end on this. You know, um, when I was at George Mason University, we would have, we, we had mass first in the lecture hall and then in the chapel. And they both hold 300. So we would have 300 students at mass and we ended up having four masses on a weekend. So I was able to say that the largest not-for-credit gathering of students on a weekly basis in a voluntary way was for a celebration of an act of unselfish love. Mass, our Sunday Mass. And that was true. That always made me feel really good, you know? The future is, is good. When the largest, not for credit, voluntary gathering of the students on a public co college university is to celebrate an act of unselfish love of Christ in the Eucharist, whereas his act of love on the cross that has won for us forgiveness, he's paid the debt, won for us forgiveness, that is a beautiful thing to be able to say. And, um, so I would say to you, find an altar every Sunday. Find an altar every Sunday so you have that power of community and that you're part of it too. And remember that the price has already been paid. Jesus paid the price on the cross for so that our sins can be forgiven. He's taken all of our sins and nailed them to the wood of his cross. We no longer stand condemned or accused anymore. He's taken all of our sins, nailed them to the wood of his cross, and we are set. He's won that forgiveness for us. So you're all you're all carrying God's credit card. Yeah, just swipe it whenever you need it. <laughs> and you can do that in the sacrament of reconciliation in the most powerful way. But Mass is that celebration of this act of unselfish love, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross extended to us again. The grace of that and healing and forgiveness is given to us. You know. So what a beautiful gift that is. And so every Mass is the Last Supper. And Jesus said at the Last Supper, do this. Keep the party going. <laughs> do this in remembrance of me. Whenever you do this, I will truly be with you. Okay, thanks everyone. Cheers. Great to meet you. Thank you again, Father Bob. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us tonight. Um, and I just want to let everyone know that Father Bob was a big supporter when we wanted to start Queer Back Theology on Tap and we approached the diocese. So we're very thankful for your support that allows us to be here each month. Sure, I'll yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to buy any Okay, so a little bit of announcements. Um, our next Queer Back Theology on Tap is on Monday, July 17th. And we have a, a great speaker, Ricky in the back, suggested her, so thank you, Ricky. Her name is Megan, or Meg Goodwin, and she works for the Office of Domestic Social Development for the USCCB. If you haven't heard of the USCCB, it's the United States Conference for Catholic Bishops, 
She works as a policy advisor. So she'll be here to talk a little bit about what the USCCB is, what it means to be a policy advisor for the Catholic Church. I think a lot of us don't really know how policies come together in our faith-based community. So that should be a really great talk. We hope you come to join us for that. There's also a survey on the table. The organizers of the event are just very interested in knowing where you all are from. So if you wouldn't mind taking a minute just to write your name and parish, if you'd like to put your email, and you can answer that question on the bottom that yes, you want to receive information, we're happy to connect you to a parish close to you or just make sure you know what's going on in the diocese. So that's the survey. If you do fill it out, just bring it up for me. I'd appreciate that. Okay, so what else should you come to? Uh, with the diocese, there's Catholic Sports Club basketball every Sunday night at Queen of Apostles from 8 to 10. They're also organizing a young adult baseball game on July 5th. That's Nats versus Mets. I don't know who you're excited for, but Nats versus Mets, 7.05 p.m., and you can go on the website to buy your tickets. They're also planning a very large event called World Youth Day Unite. If you haven't heard of it, it's on Saturday, July 22nd, featuring Audrey Assad and Tony Melendez. And it's a gathering of hundreds of young adults, ages 18 to 39. Um, it's a family festival with worship, talks, breakout groups, music at St. John, John Paul II National Shrine. So for more info, look at the diocesan website for that. With Nativity, I'm, my name is Allison Fram. If I haven't met you, I'm the director of Young Adult Ministry there. So feel free to ask me if you have questions about any of this. We are having a praise and worship this coming Friday. It's called Joyful Noise contemporary music from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. in the church. You're all welcome to come for. It's our last one before the summer. We used to do it uh, once a month. And we also have a weekly small group every Tuesday night. Right now we're doing a video series by Father Robert Barron, and several of us in the room are part of that small group. Um, we'll be talking about a saint who's influenced the church, and that's every Tuesday at 7.30. Feel free to talk to me if you have questions about that. We also do Catholic Sports Club Volleyball. That's Sand Volleyball at Berth Berg Lake Park every other Saturday. Our next one is July 1st. We meet from 5.30 to 8 p.m. And we'll be happy to help have anyone come. All skill levels are welcome, no judgment. It's okay if you fall in the sand. We've also rescheduled our winery day. I announced this back in May and then it rained. So our new young adult winery day, winery day, make sure you heard that, is on Saturday, um, July 8th from 2 to 5 p.m. at Bull Run Winery. So that's just a great social event, chance to meet other people in your community. And last but not least, we do have a summer musical at Nativity Godspell, which we're putting on. And we have young adults both performing and assisting behind the scenes. So if you're interested, that's July 20th to 23rd. And I think Katie Egan is here. And if anyone has questions, you can talk to her. So last but not least, just two other announcements. St. Leo's is hosting a Prasadi Fire Fellowship at St. Leo the Great Catholic Church right here in Fairfax at 7 p.m. on June 28th. And they have a fire pit to hang out with food and drinks. And there's a flyer up here. You can talk to Jackie if you have questions. And they're also planning an afternoon at Burke Lake on Saturday, July 8th. Um, mini golf, ice cream, the train, volleyball there too. So you can talk to Jackie if you have questions. Okay, I think that is all. Thank you so much for coming, and we hope to see you next month. Good night.